Welcome to Our Faith in Writing. I'm Charlotte Donlin. As a writer and a spiritual director for writers, I believe writing and reading help us belong to ourselves, others, God, and the world. Our Faith in Writing explores the intersection of writing and faith through conversations about the writing process, the reading life, contemplative practices, and more. Thanks for listening. You're about to hear an episode from one of my old podcasts that explores themes connected to our faith in writing. You may hear the Lists of Nine podcast or the Art and Faith Unplugged podcast mentioned during this episode, and that's okay. You're still here with us at Our Faith in Writing. Thanks again for listening. Welcome to Art and Faith Unplugged. I'm Charlotte Donlin, and today I'm talking to Ashley Jones, who is a poet. Um, she lives here in Birmingham. Ashley holds an MFA in poetry from Florida International University, and she is the author of Magic City Gospel, Dark Thing, and Reparations Now, which is available for pre-order now. Her poetry has earned several awards, including the Rona Jaffe Foundation Writers Award. I hope I said that right. If I didn't, it's okay. The Silver Medal in the Independent Publishers Book Award, the Lena Miles Weaver Todd Prize for Poetry, a Literature Fellowship from the Alabama State Council of the Arts, the Lucille Clifton Poetry Prize, and the Lucille Clifton Legacy Award. Ashley was also a finalist for the Ruth Lily Dorothy Sargent Rosenberg Fellowship in 2020, and her poems and essays appear in or are forthcoming at CNN, Poetry, The Oxford American, Origins Journal, The Quarry, By Split This Rock, Obsidian, and many others. She teaches at the Alabama School of Fine Arts and co-directs Penn Birmingham, Ashley is also the founding director of the Magic City Poetry Festival, and she serves as the O'Neill Library's Lift Every Voice Scholar and as a guest editor for Poetry Magazine. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Charlotte, for having me. Um, I love your work and your poems and your essays, which I read. What's the one you wrote recently or where was it published? Um, Scalawag or that one yeah. Scalawag well and the CNN one was good too but the Scalawag one I was like oh my god this is why I love essays written by poets um, so I will um, link to a lot of Ashley's recent work and her books in the show notes for this episode and real quick if you are listening to this podcast for the first time I call it art and faith unplugged just because it's very unplugged there's no fancy intro or outro I don't edit. Um, There's not a lot of production costs or energy just because I needed to make it as simple as possible. So all of my guests are willing to have a conversation without any editing, which I appreciate. So if we mess up, we will correct ourselves and keep going. Um, So thanks, Ashley, for being willing to do this. (laughs) Um, I would love to start with hearing a bit about how you are and what your writing life looks like right now, what it's looked like over the past year with the pandemic and continuing violence against um, Black people, police brutality, violence, white supremacy, racism, all of that, and how that has affected your writing life and your faith um, over the past year and how maybe how that is 
um, what it's looking like right now also. Yeah. So where to begin? I guess my writing life, that's maybe the easiest place to begin. Um, I've never been a writer who writes every day. That's just not my style. I mean, obviously when I was in school, I did what I had to do, you know, to get my grades. But um, as a writer now detached from a school, I don't wake up every morning at 5 a.m. and write for three hours. I don't hold myself to like word requirements or anything like that. I write when it's time to write. So I do spend a lot of time sort of thinking through, um, you know, ideas or something kind of lands on my brain. Um, you know, I'll let it be there until it's time to come to the page. So during this past year, um, I've just kind of let myself naturally flow in and out of writing. Um, for the first few months of the pandemic, I was not writing at all. I didn't have anything to say, really. Um, and unfortunately, in those first few months, um, we lost my cousin to um, the coronavirus. So that mm -hmm. kind of stopped me again, you know, although I already was sort of blocked because of the trauma of what was happening. After that happened, it was like, well, I really have nothing to say now. Um, mm -hmm. And so it took me a while to get back into it. Um, and part of what brought me back into it actually was that essay in Scalawag um, that you were talking about, because I wanted to visit my cousin, as crazy as it may sound, I found that I was able to talk to him or at least find some closure because we couldn't, you know, see his body. There was no um, funeral for us to attend. I mean, there was one in New York where he lived, but we couldn't go up there and see him. So writing that essay kind of got me back into even wanting to write um, and it reawakened my creative muscle. So that's kind of how that's been going. And I've been kind of back to normal now, um, now that it's been a year and I'm sort of getting used to the trauma. As far as the traumas against Black people, I mean, that's just been a thing that I've had to deal with since day one. Um, I mean, I, I will say last year, I didn't immediately start writing about what was happening. Um, people, of course, would ask like, hey, do you want to write about this murder that you just, you know, lived through? Like, no, <laughs> you know, I, I definitely mm -hmm. didn't want to do that. Um, but I guess the difference last year was that other people seemed to finally feel the same way I did. You know, before it's like me and like the other black person in the room would be like, man, it really sucks that people kill us. But last year it did seem like there were others who were like, hey, it really sucks that people kill y'all. You know, I now admit that you are being murdered, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. And, and my faith, I think, has been getting stronger actually throughout this time, which maybe is to be expected in um a crisis like the one that we're living in. Um, but, you know, I've just found myself um, restarting old practices. Like I used to, my mom used to make us say our prayers every night before bed when we were kids. And, you know, when I got older, I stopped doing that because I was like, I'm grown, you know, I don't have to do the things my mom, you know, made us do. But I was uh, talking to my mom and, and she said, I said, I'm not feeling well, I'm feeling really down. And, you know, and she said, why don't you just start back praying every night? just reintroduce that into your life, you know? And she always would model for us different um, ways to pray. Like every time we would get in the car, there would be a prayer um, to cover us as we drove. And, you know, she would pray every night, like I said, and just anytime, you know? Um, and so I started that last year and it's been very helpful for my mental health, honestly. Um, you know, I'm a pretty free form Christian, um, which maybe we will get into that, but um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think that you have to have a specific um, path.
pattern of prayer, but it has been very helpful for me to have that time dedicated each day, especially because I am so busy. Like, yeah, I talk to God all day, but I like that time where I can just say, okay, I am talking now. Nothing else is happening. You know, it's mm-hmm. not an afterthought. We're just having our moment, you know, and that's really been very helpful for me um, throughout this time. Yeah. Well, I'm so sorry for the loss of your cousin. I know that's a huge, um, like painful experience, especially in the midst of the current climate and circumstances with the pandemic and everything. And um, I I mean, I do love that essay. I know it's hard to be like, oh, I love your essay about your pain. But um, I think it's because we connect with it, you know, even if we haven't lost someone to COVID, um, just the way you entered into conversation with your cousin and um, explored that relationship is something that I think a lot of people can connect with. Um, I, I do have a question though. Is that, have you experienced that kind of loss and grief before in the past? Unfortunately, yes. I'm no stranger to losing family members. Um, I have some friends who are in my age group. I'm 30 for anyone who is mm-hmm. listening and curious. Um, okay. <laughs> I have some friends who are my same age who've never lost anyone. Wow. And that's an experience that, I mean, I'm so glad for them, but they haven't yet you know, had to experience that. But since I was very young, I've had to deal with family members dying and um, you know, just trying to figure out what it means to live without those people. And it has been actually very um, enriching to discover how to communicate with those people now that they're gone. Um, You know, I'm very, I often say like, maybe I'm a little too woo woo for some people, you know? (laughs) Um, But I really do believe that spirits are real and that your ancestors really can communicate with you in some ways, you know? And so um, it really was after the death of my maternal grandmother that I started really thinking about how these people could influence me from beyond the earth, you know? Um, And a lot of that has come out in my writing, I think, but also just in my daily life, just recognizing, you know, for example, I look a lot like my, um, one of my aunts who has passed away. And interestingly, my cousin just, um, I posted a video a few days ago on Instagram and my cousin was like, oh, I thought this was Auntie Nisi. You look just like her. I do. And just sort of like thinking about that and feeling, um, I don't know, happy to know that I, my face is her face and, you know, my laugh can be somebody else's laugh or we can, you know, say words that some of our loved ones used to say or phrases they used to say, um, you know, I, I've been communing in that way with those spirits because it helps, you know, to live without those people to kind of recreate them in some way, either within yourself or within conversations with other people who knew them. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And you know, I lost my dad in August to COVID. And one thing that's helped me is thinking about how I contain some of him, like in my body and how, um, you know, just the physical presence of part of him, um, for some reason helps me feel better about it. Cause I'm like, okay, he's still here at least in that way. Um, and, and then when I think about, um, even generations before him and how we contain um, how our bodies have, you know, received part of their genes and even, I mean, like blood maybe. I mean, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's something I'm super interested in um, thinking about and maybe writing about one day. Um, 
Well, I would, I'd like to shift to your poems right now. Um, so I love your poetry. And one reason I'm a fan of your poems is that you write about the whole gamut of life. You write about the whole spectrum of emotions. Um, there are happy poems and <laughs> heartbreaking poems. And, um, you know, I think your writing um, helps me know more of God, even though they aren't straightforward for like religious poems necessarily. Um, a lot of poems help me like, are like prayers for me and, um, kind of like the Psalms, how the psalmist can put things to words that I have trouble putting to words. Um, poems do that for me. And so it feels very prayerful at times, even if the, the person writing the poems is very different from me, has a very different background. Um, I do think there's like, mystery involved a bit when we not only when we read poetry but I guess when we read anything like even novels there's this mysterious kind of connection thing happening um between the reader and the writer and the work and what the work has become beyond what the writer intended it um so anyway with all of that um if would it would you be willing to read a couple of your poems right now and tell us like when you wrote it and if like which book it's in, if it's in a book or where it's been published. So I can add it to the show notes if, if it's available online. Yeah. Um, and I just want to say before I read, um, it really does mean a lot to hear that you find God in poetry in general, but also that my poems can somehow reveal some of that too, because that's exactly how I feel about mm -hmm. poetry and the writing of poetry is very spiritual for me as well. Um, because I really think that, you know, God gives us a thing that we can do. And that thing is a thing that can connect us to God um, and to others. And so that that really helps. Um, but yeah, I will read a couple poems. I'm thinking that maybe um, I want to read a poem that I hadn't thought I was going to read because of something you said um, about how people remain in our blood. Um, mm. And so I'm going to I'm going to find it <laughs> and so okay. read it. Um, let me see. Okay. So it's in my second book, Dark Thing. And I don't know if it's published online. Well, then they can, they can buy a dark thing or just keep listening to this. <laughs> there you go. Over and over. <laughs> Solutions. That's what we love. Um, so, so yeah, so this poem does talk about that idea of our family living in us. It's maybe not the most positive example, but as soon as you said the word blood, I thought, wait a minute, there is a poem for this. Um, mm -hmm. and so this piece is actually about my, um, grandpa. Um, that's such an affectionate way to call him my grandfather. I didn't know him. Um, my dad's dad, who was an evil man, um, just truly the scourge of the earth. This man was a uh, very abusive to his children and his wife. Um, and even though I've never met him, I feel like I know so much about him because of my dad's stories, my aunts and uncles stories. And um, I couldn't help but wonder like, what of that lives in me? Mm. You know, because of course I know the part of it that lives in my dad because I can see, you know, him actively fighting against it so that it doesn't affect his family. Um, he's told us often the reason that, um, you know, our family is so loving and he is the way that he is. And, 
you know, whatever, it's because he didn't want his family to be the way that his was growing up. Um, so anyway, I've just, I've thought about that a lot. And so I wrote this piece after, um, after the poet Marcy Calabretta Canciobello. Um, she has a book called Hour of the Ox. And in that book, there are several poems in which an absent brother returns as different, um, I don't know, objects, I guess. So this is called My Grandfather Returns as Oil. His face is thick, unseeable. I only catch glimpses in my dreams, in the shadows falling thickly on my father's face. They say he was mean, smothering like oil, like its slick, tight grip on water, like a hand pressed to a closing throat. I only knew my grandfather through stories, through the darkness seeping out of my grandma's tender eyes, her smile, the old easy chair, the love wrapped between her swollen fingers. But her children knew him as the throbbing print of his hand on her cheek, on her nose, just soft enough to break, through the snake of the extension cord crashing, thundering through their skin. Grandfather, is that your blood creeping through my heart? Rage, viscous and unyielding, crude and dangerous as oil? Or do you already sit on my skin, spreading quickly, silently covering me in your persistent, glossy shadow? Wow. There's so much I could say about that poem. It's stunning. Thank you for reading it um, and for writing it. Yeah. Um, I love the images and um, the shadow, his shadows on your father's face. Was that the line? Is that what you said? I think so. Yeah. It's hard for me to remember immediately. I've, um, but I will, I have dark thing somewhere and um, we'll um, write a bit about it, about that poem um, in the show notes or on my Substack newsletter. So I, I want to engage with it more other than just listening to you. Although I do think there's value in listening and sitting and hearing and not responding um, verbally immediately. Right, right, right. Um, well, is there another poem um, that you'd like to read now before we talk a bit more about um, some influence, some influences on your creativity and things like that? Sure. Um, I do have another one here that I brought especially to read for you because um, I just feel like it, maybe you'll understand when I start reading it why I, I think of you when I um, think of this poem. Um, I think of you as someone who is always concerned with faith and also with life. Um, and this poem is about those things. Um, I didn't start writing about faith confidently until mm, maybe, maybe a little bit in my second book, but definitely in this third book. Um, just because, like I said before, I'm, I'm a free form sort of Christian. Like I've always been different than other people. My family's always been different and living in the South, it's sometimes really hard to like have your own beliefs without people telling you that you're wrong or, you know, that you're going to hell or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so I decided, I was like, you know what, if I'm going to be my authentic self, I have to be my authentic self, which means I'm going to talk about God and I'm going to talk about God how I want to talk about God. And that's going to be fine because it's between me and God. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, anyway, so this poem is called God Made My Whole Body. God made my whole body and the way it moves and the way it shakes and jiggles and plops. And God made my smile and the thousand tears that fall from my eyes. God made the sun and the moon and the leaf held loosely in my godson's perfect little hand. And God made the summer breeze and the guitar Ron Isley crooned over. And God made the grass and the bugs and the dogs and the trees. And God made all of our bodies to make waste. And God made even the waste that lives in us. And God made the way the world spins and the way it will shake us right off if we don't act right. And God made the rivers which make it possible for us to drink. And God made the clouds which hold the rain. And God made the birds which fly and the wolves that howl. God made the folds of my brain and the thoughts that burrow there. God made my belly, my uterus, and all the little eggs which might become children. God made the doubt that rests there like bubbling gas. God made the silence I wrap around myself some nights alone. God made the music we sing and the music we hate. God made the ears which help us stay balanced, help us to hear what people say behind our backs and in front of them. God made sweet potato pie and aunties and mamas who know how to add just enough nutmeg. God made my whole body And God made my grandma and her gold tooth. And God made my grandma and her curly wig. And God made my grandma I didn't know. And God made my grandpa who was a ghost and my grandpa who was a terror. God made fear and the way it slices us up thin and flimsy. God made the way a hand quivers before it strikes. God made pain. God made the blood which runs and keeps us running. God made an everlasting red. Wow. I feel, I mean, I feel like we need to sit in silence for a few minutes. <laughs> oh goodness. Um, that's wonderful. And it, it's an honor that you think of me. <laughs> um, or when you think of me, that poem comes to mind. Um, it's beautiful. Thank you. And I look forward to reading it again. You said it's going to be in your, next book or it's yeah book? It's, it's gonna be in the next one this one actually is online also at okay. the rumpus um yeah so if you just search my name and the rumpus it's there with um two other poems okay great and i will add that to the show notes also and maybe respond um with words soon um and when is reparations now what's the publication date for that september something okay <laughs> So we have a a few more months. Um, And I wonder, will there be book tours again by then, maybe? Are you planning on doing one? I mean, I'm planning on doing it whatever way it makes sense to do them. Um, I have no qualms with online readings. In fact, I like them quite a lot, um, you know, because I can sit at home and not have to fly on a plane and be by myself in a strange place. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely will do events. 
um, for the book release. And maybe in 2022, we'll be able to more comfortably travel. So I'll be able to do some stuff in person. Great, great. Okay, well, um, what's something that you have read recently that has stayed with you? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. And I, I am laughing because I feel like every time somebody asks me anything, I end up at the same place. Um, but let me start by saying um, one of my goals for this year and next year is to try to like read for fun more because I really don't do it enough. Um, anything I read, I'm always thinking, how can I teach this? I got to use it for teaching or I got to, you know, whatever. There's rarely a time, <clears throat> excuse me, that I can just sit down with a book and like actually enjoy it these days, um, which is sad, but it's, I guess, a trade-off of being a teacher. Um, <clears throat> you just don't necessarily have that time anymore. But anyway, so the last thing that I read um, that I can remember was a couple of days ago, I read a piece by Lucille Clifton to begin a meeting um, that I was holding. And the idea kind of came to me out of the blue as most things do. And of course, when I say out of the blue, we know that it came from somewhere, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, something or someone or yeah, something someone. Told me <laughs> yeah. that I needed to read um, a poem to start this particular meeting um, to sort of set the tone and also to like reset my, you know, energy around what it was that I had to do. And so I opened my um, collection book, as I often will do when I'm just searching for a message. And um, the piece that I opened it to is called We Are Running. And I can't remember it all by heart, but the, the ending is what really got me because she asked something like, and I'm sorry, Ms. Clifton, for butchering your words right now from memory, but she asked something like, um, we must pray um, that we can run to what we want. And we also must pray that what we want is worth running to. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, she's, but it's better when she says it, but that's the gist. Mm -hmm. And that has really, um, it really like changed my whole attitude toward the day and toward the job that it was that I had to do that day. Um, because I've, I've also in life just been trying to be intentional about everything that I do. And that question or that prayer that what we're running to is what we want is huge. You know, there's so many things that we do that I do. I'll just take it to me. I do a lot of things and I do have to step back sometimes and say, okay, is this actually what I want for my life? Is this what I need to do? Do I need to take a step back? You know, what is my goal at this place or in this job or in this poem or wherever? Um, you know, and it helps me to sort of help me to focus on, my intentions um, and what I wanted to bring to that situation, but also just to life in general. Um, it was a good reminder for me to stay committed to my goal um, in life, which is to create and bring light wherever I go um, and whatever I do. One of my daily prayers is for God to um, allow me to exude his spirit. I don't always like using pronouns, but it's easy. So, you know, um, for me to exude God's spirit in whatever it is that I do. Um, and so, you know, that poem just kind of like reset me. I was like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Like what you want is that thing is to be a light and to bring light to others. So if you focus on that, everything else will be fine. Yeah. 
Well, and then also as you were talking about um, that poem and why it was meaningful to you and continues to be meaningful to you, it it sounds like it also connects to how you've moved toward your faith um, in the way that you that fits you and your personal um, woo woo or what's the <laughs> adjective you use about your faith? Um, oh, free form. Free form. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and like embracing that and writing about it and being willing to be your authentic self. And, um, and when I think about that term authentic self, I think about how God resides within each person um, and our own kind of spiritual heart and how unique those are because we're all unique. And of course that means that our faith is going to, unfold in ways that may not be like everyone else's. And um, it is um, sad and heartbreaking when I'm in a Christian community where that's not, there's no freedom for that, you know, and, you know, there are boxes that we have to fit in and there are boxes that we're expected to fit in. And um, even if we can't fit in them. So um, anyway, while you're talking about that poem, I had the image of you like running toward your faith um, and what God has offered you in that relationship. Um, And I'm going to look up that poem and, you know, try to have a link to it if it's available online for listeners Um, or they can buy a Lucille Clifton collection that has it. Let's buy books people. Okay. So with regard to like your, creative life and creative process mm-hmm. what is um, one of your favorite writing prompts either for yourself or one that you give your students hmm. or both <laughs> yeah and you know I saw you had this question on the list and did not even think to like prepare what is my favorite prompt um, <laughs> but maybe that makes for a better answer actually um, I actually find that my my favorite prompt like changes my favorite prompts in general are those that take people to places that are unexpected. So one that I'm just thinking of now, um, sometimes I teach a little workshop on um, self-love. It's like, I don't say that that's what it is. It's a sneaky sort of backdoor, like you're going to love yourself, but you don't know that's what you're <laughs> doing. Yeah. So um, we read poems like homage to my hips. Um, there's a poem by Sharon Olds called self-portrait rear view where she's looking at her backside and she's like horrified at the the way that it looks, but also she loves the way that it looks. So anyway, we read some poems like that. And I ask um, whoever I'm doing the workshop with to write a list of things they love about themselves. And those are usually easy, like, oh yeah, my hair is awesome, whatever, whatever. And then I ask them to write a list of things that they don't like or that they hate about themselves. And by the end of the workshop, they are instructed to write a poem of praise for one of the things they hate. Mm-hmm. And the results of that it's usually very um, interesting. People, some people struggle really trying to like celebrate something that they hate about themselves. But some people are like, wow, I realized I don't have to think about this negatively, this thing um, that I've always hated. Um, And I guess I sort of do that too sometimes in some of my poems about um, my body, for example. Um, There's a poem in the new book called A Poem About the Body. Very creative title. (laughs) Um, but it talks about um it's part of my journey with self-love uh like physically I used to suffer from 
really bad, um, low self-esteem. Um, and of course those things never go away, but I'm definitely in a different place with how I see myself now. Um, but the poem sort of seeks to even celebrate that struggle of um, not knowing, you know, if you're beautiful or not loving the way your body looks and not loving how people react to your body and um, all that kind of stuff. So that's probably something like that would be my favorite um, prompt where it forces people to see something that maybe they've seen as bad um, and not even just with bodies. Like even if there's a prompt about um, history, um, anybody who knows me knows I love a good historical piece, <laughs> you know, um, but when I've led students um, into prompts that make them think about their own histories or um, things that are difficult and finding something, some light basically in that. Yeah. Um, that's what I love to do. Those are my favorite. Yeah. I love how you um, just described it as finding light um, and helping others find light. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about um what you think about nurturing creativity um, in your life and others' lives and maybe some ways you nurture your own creativity and creative life, whether it has to do with writing or mm-hmm. anything. I mean, I know one way you do it that I might mention later, but oh, <laughs> or that it appears, or I'll say it now, um, your fashion posts, mm-hmm. I love them. And it feels like... Um, they make you more alive. Like when you're talking about your clothing and outfits and even your photos on, is it Instagram and Facebook where you post them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And it makes me, I mean, I think it nurtures my creativity too, I guess. Oh, wow. So yeah. That's good to know. Um, Sorry for answering your question for you. No, you're good. Yeah, I'll I'll try to come back to the fashion um, okay. because obviously I love it. I say obviously, maybe some of you don't follow me on social media, but I do post a lot of outfit photos. Um, but going back, let's okay. go back. Um, <laughs> um, I think I learned how to nurture creativity from my parents, honestly. Um, neither of them are practicing artists per se. Um, my dad has a natural ability to do portraiture. Um, with just pencil, he can draw a photorealistic piece. Um, and he doesn't really know why he can do it. He just said one day he was like, I don't know, maybe eight or nine or whatever. And he wanted to draw Mickey Mouse. So he picked up a pencil and drew and it looked exactly like, you know, the the TV. And he just kept drawing. And there's some um, art he's done in our house where he drew each of us as children, um, like based on a school photo. And it's hanging in uh, my parents' house. Um, so he does that. And my mom, she um, has her degree in social work and education. So she's not an artist, but she is like, she is a storyteller. And I think in another life, she had to have been a poet, you know, um, because she has a really good poetic ear. Um, I used to, not so much anymore um, that I'm writing things that make me a little embarrassed to read to my mom, you know, uh, <laughs> but I used to read everything that I ever wrote to my mom to like, see if it was good. Um, And she would tell me, you know, um, that's not good or that doesn't sound like you or, you know, whatever. And she did it for all of us, you know, because all of my siblings are artsy. Three of us went to the School of Fine Arts. Um, My younger sister and I were both in the writing program, although she now does visual art. Um, 
And then my older sister was in the visual art program, although she now is a journalist, so we can't escape. <laughs> Can't escape writing um, <laughs> in our household. And my youngest um, sibling, my brother, he he writes a little bit on the side actually now um, because how can he not in a house full of writers? But he is a singer. That's what his his artistic outlet has been um, is doing singing in the um, the classical choir. At, yeah. at mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I learned about nurturing from my parents not o- not only by seeing them, um, you know express themselves artistically, whether they would phrase it that way or not. You know, my dad does gardening um, and with just artistic flair. The garden is beautiful. You know, everything mm-hmm. he does is just just artistically amazing. Um, and like I said, the stories my mom can tell are just incredible. Or honestly, the sermons that she goes off into, she's not a preacher, but there's this way that my mom is able to, you know, we'll just have like a regular conversation and then all of a sudden, we're talking about God in this way that it's just very like, I am receiving a sermon right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that the older I get, I have tapped into that a little bit. Um, but just the way they let us be artsy, weird kids, you know, they didn't judge us for it. They encouraged us to do art. Um, you know, when we were really little. We drew all the time. We played with clay. We got to sing songs. Um, we read a lot. Um and actually, I was just telling my students yesterday that when we were, um, you know, like, I guess, tweens, preteens, I don't know what we call these designations anymore, but our parents let my sister and I draw a mural on our bedroom wall. And it was this, like, amusement park set in bedrock from the Flintstones. We were really into the Flintstones. <laughs> Super weird kids. <laughs> like, we were very weird. Um, but we drew literally with, like, colored pencils crayons on our walls and our parents were like yeah that's great do that and it wasn't until I got older that I was like what what did they let us do like this was not a beautiful mural by any stretch we were kids just like scrolling you know all over our walls but they encouraged that in us they you know supported us when we went to the school of fine arts they've always um helped us or supported us dreaming these artistic futures that we've wanted and Um, you know, even now, just to know that they're proud of us for the books that we've written. My sister is an author as well. Um, And how excited they get about the things that we do. That was so important. And I didn't know that others didn't have that until, you know, going to school and hearing people say, my parents don't want me to be an artist. They want me to be a doctor. They want me to whatever. And I was like, oh, my parents just want me to be whatever I want to be, you know, and I didn't realize the luxury in that. And so as a teacher now, and just as a person, I try to pass that on to others and encourage people to do what it is that they want to do and to find ways to do it um, in, in ways they can sustain themselves as well. My parents, although they wanted us to do what we wanted, they were like, hey, but also if you're going to be an artist, you got to be able to feed yourself somehow. Like you got to have a plan. Um, and that really has stuck with me throughout my life. And so I tell my students now, you know, you can be an artist. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't be that. Um, It just means that you may have to work another job or just plan very well um, in order to be able to do that. Um, And it really does mean a lot for some people to just have someone to say, I believe in you and I believe you can do it. Or even for me, um, one of the reasons I even went back to teach at ASFA is to be visible just so students could see, you know, you can have an active career and be from Alabama and, you know, 
not be, you know, starving. And, you know, it's just important, you know, your, people's lives can be changed just by knowing that things are possible or that people believe in what they're doing and, and that their artistic inclinations are not um, strange or shameful or a hobby only. Um, that was a tangent, I think. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> like one of your mother's sermons. Um, I know your students appreciate that. Um, you know, my kids are around your students' age, and um, very few of their peers' parents would let them draw on walls. 99% sure. Um, we let our kids do, you know, creative things like that, but I know how uncommon that is. Um, and I love that your parents were like that and that you offer that to your students. Um, um, they may not even really know you're doing it um, as this alternative to what their parents are giving them. And not that they have bad parents, you know, but just not everyone sees um, the importance of art and cre- creative life as something that's worthy of pursuing and um, giving time to. Although I, I mean, I assume parents that ask for kids, parents would be more likely since they're sending their kids to, to an art school. Um, so I'm going to turn a little bit more to faith now, and I'd love to hear um, what you, how you define grace and maybe some ways you've noticed grace in your life recently. Hmm. Great. And it doesn't have to be a perfect, I guess what comes to mind when you think of grace? I guess I think of, um, I think of kindness first when I think of grace, because I think when you give someone grace, even when you give yourself grace, it has to be rooted in a deep kindness and, you know, love really. Um, and I guess for me, so many examples of grace have, have, been available to me in my life. Of course, my family, I mean, I talk about them a lot, but it just really, it can't be overstated how important a good family is, a supportive family. Um, And again, I didn't know that not everybody had one until I went to school and I was like, man, I am so lucky. I'm so blessed to have this family that isn't, you know, abusing me or that isn't mistreating me, that um, surrounds me with love and gives me chances, you know, to do things and experiment and to have opinions, you know, like my parents, um, they didn't necessarily force us to believe a certain thing. I mean, we were raised in a household where our parents were both Christian, but we weren't raised in a church, um, which is something that I used to be very afraid to admit to people, because as you know, people are just mean, honestly, (laughs) just really mean and judgmental and insecure really is what the root of it is. Yeah. Um, and afraid. And the reason that we weren't raised in church, it, yes, and so afraid, yes. Um, my parents both were raised in church, actually, as children. Um, my dad has an interesting relationship with the church because of his dad, who would, you know, take them to church every Sunday and then teach them how to steal the very same day. Uh, because, as I said, the man was evil, um, just a truly evil man. And so, of course, my dad saw that side of Christianity where people, you know, could act like everything was fine. And then not, you know, do the right thing outside of the walls of the church. And my mom was raised in a very loving church um, in Greensboro, Alabama, um, which we, you know, still visit. We visited more when my grandmother was alive, but um, 
you know, she had a pretty good experience with church, was in the choir, you know, very involved. Um, but both of my parents are, you know, how do I say this nicely, I guess, the weird ones, I guess, in their family. That's why we're so strange as, as their children, which is said with, with, um, with like happiness. I'm glad to be a weird one. Um, but they really wanted to, for themselves, focus on the relationship with God instead of the relationship with people and the church. And so we were raised in a household where we knew about God. My mom is like, as I said, just sermoning all over the house all the time, you know, telling us about God and praying. And, um, you know, my dad would talk to us about God too. Um, but they didn't say, you must believe exactly what I believe. You know, we were able to sort of figure it out for ourselves because that's what they taught us. You gotta, you can't have faith if you haven't chosen the faith, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. it can't just be something like, oh, you're born a Christian, you're a Christian, never question it. Right. Like they wanted us to like critically think about things and decide what it is that we believe, um, which was very important. I mean, very hard again, growing up in Alabama, um, it's not normal for a black Southerner to not be in a church um, for any Southerner, I'll say. But, you know, certainly as a black person, I already was a strange you know, kid. And then I didn't go to church, too. Like, mm-hmm. man, very difficult. Um, but. Yeah, so I, I, I'm losing my train of thought. I think I'm talking about faith and where it comes from in my life. Oh, grace. Found it. It's OK. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was just a question to get so started about your faith and that worked. So. <laughs> Well, you know, I do this, the older I get, I'm telling you, I don't know what it is. You just start talking and then you're like, where was I? And what am I even saying? Like, used to be, I could really like, you know, weave a whole little web and then come right back without forgetting. But anyway, Grace, I think there's, there's a big example there with my parents, just giving us the ability to come to religion, um, however it made sense to us and not beating us over the head with it in any way. And in many ways, that has made my faith stronger and more unwavering throughout my life because I've seen my parents living as, you know, really good people doing the right things and caring about others and caring about us. And I've been able to develop my own relationship with God without having to feel like I have to fit in a specific box. I have to wear specific clothes. I have to believe certain things. We were also raised in a household where we were taught to respect and love everybody. So I am politically liberal, I always say, because of my religion. Like, if it wasn't for the grace and the love and the respect that I feel I'm given by God, I don't know that I would feel the way that I do. Like, if all I knew about Christianity was, um, if you don't do this, you go to hell, everybody hates you if you don't do this, then yeah, I could understand how you might end up being the way some people are. But for me, it's because of God that I'm like, yeah, okay, I love everybody. <laughs> you know, how could yeah. I not, you know, right, love everyone right. and want everybody to thrive um, in whatever way it is that they want to. Um, so that's what I think of. And, and also just giving grace to myself to believe what I believe and be who I am and not be ashamed of it. That has been a huge theme for me um, in this last few years of my life, just really being okay with who I am and not being afraid of people of people's rejection of me or judgment of me. Um, because, I mean, for one, it's not about other people. I'm here and God put me here and we're the only ones, you know, who have a say in, in any of that. You know, I can be who I am because that's how God made me. 
that's the end of the sentence. You know, there's no, you know, need to, to even modify it. Um, you know, but also I have found that I get some of this power and, and strength and confidence from others who have lived authentically also, um, you know, you know, I think about Lucille Clifton, of course, um, and how she always showed up as herself. And even that is a kind of grace to say, here I am opening the door for you because I myself needed an open door, you know? Um, so yeah, there's my long, long and winding answer to that. Hey, that's question. great. That's great. And the end of your answer actually leads into something I was going to ask you about next, which is, um, your writing community and what that's like, um, you know, people who aren't even living anymore, um, mentors living or dead, um, uh, peers. Um, I'd love to hear about what your writing community looks like for you. And if, um, there are elements of faith in any of that and, um, maybe a couple ways you receive and offer encouragement to each other. Well, um, when you say writing community, I immediately think about the Birmingham community. I mean, of course, there are lots of people in my life who don't live in Birmingham, who are very supportive and um, who I'm really grateful to have in my life and in a profession that is so competitive and just mean spirited sometimes. Um, but I do want to talk specifically about the Birmingham community because I think it's very unique um, in that there seems to be mutual support everywhere you turn, mostly. Now, of course, there's always going to be some people who are not, you know, trying to be supportive, but we don't even think about those people. They're outside of the circle, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I have, I have really found that the writers who are here are just so excited to write, for one. You know, people are, like, genuinely happy to write, but also we're happy for each other, you know, um, and we're supportive of each other in many facets of, of life. Um, and that has really been amazing. Um, and I know it's not the case everywhere. Cause I mean, you hear, you can really ask any writer anywhere else, like how was your experience in your community? And sometimes they'll say, Oh, it's really terrible. Cause everybody's competitive. You know, um, everybody just wants their five minutes. And I really feel like here. Yeah. Like we, we want things for ourselves. Of course we are ambitious, but I really do feel like an undercurrent of our community here is making space for others. I really do feel that way. Um, and that's been really amazing. It, it kind of frees you up to do what you want to do because you don't have to feel like, well, I got to beat out five other people. I got to, you know, whatever. Like there's space for everybody. I can write my book. You can write your book. We can all give readings. We can all buy each other stuff. Um, so that's been fantastic. Um, for me, and I think there was a second part of that question um, about community. Um, I asked, um, are there a few ways that you receive and offer encouragement to other poets and writers? But I think you answered that already <laughs> um, with your answer yeah, about the yeah, Birmingham community. I, I mean, if you do you have other thoughts on that? or Well, I mean, I think that... Um, we're very supportive in many ways. I mean, I obviously run the Majesty Poetry Festival, which mm -hmm. is, I think, one good way that we support each other. And um, we just try to create spaces for people to, to do their thing, you know, um, and we try to find money to put in their pocket, you know, for, for doing their thing. 
Um, but I don't know, you're part of the community too, Charlotte. Do you find it to be that way? Um, I feel kind of on the periphery as someone who has written primarily about faith. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm trying to move away from that <laughs> or move out of Christian publishing specifically um, because it's just, I realized Christian publishing is evangelical publishing and um, uh, there's just a lot of white supremacy and racism and few people who are willing to acknowledge that um, and change, which I kind of like when, um, oh God, publishing paid me um, hashtag happened on Twitter last summer um, and people in like normal publishing, I don't even know the right word, <laughs> mainstream publishing or whatever mm-hmm. were um, exposing, um, you know, how Jasmine Ward was like, had to fight and scrape for a hundred thousand um, dollar advance for one of her books while other new writers were easily getting $200,000 Like, And I mean, and not just those huge numbers, but there were stories of, you know, smaller numbers for books too. But, um, and I feel like there was movement pretty quickly, not that it's perfect, but those um, like the bigger publishing companies are trying to change, I think. Um, and there were conversations about it and, you know, just the writers who were willing to speak up, the white writers who were willing to speak up and be honest about it. And that has not happened in Christian publishing. And I just, it's been very sad. Anyway, I'm not answering your question, but like (laughs) for all of those reasons, like I'm trying to move away from it. I don't know if I'll be able to, I might never get to write another book, but um, as a writer in Birmingham, I feel like, I mean, maybe I'm just nervous and embarrassed to, to be really connected to the writing community here. Um, or I feel like I'm on the outside a little bit, even though, you know, I've been to um, Magic City Poetry Festival events and um, I spoke at the first Spark Writing um, Festival. And I don't know, I think like hearing you talk, I was like, man, I need to get more connected. <laughs> I need to be more involved and um, show up at readings and um, events and, um, put myself in the way of opportunities to get to know more writers here. Um, and to, you know, one, like, I'm going to keep writing about my faith, but I think I can do it in ways that are more welcoming to people who don't know what they believe or know what they don't believe, but still are interested in faith and that kind of thing. So that's my very long answer to your question. Um, I think it's something that maybe is a gift that I've missed. Maybe it's a good way to respond. And I'm glad you talked about it. And maybe I will start showing up more. Yes, As they say, the doors are open. Yeah. Yeah. And I do. I mean, I know several writers who I love um, and I could name names, but I don't, I mean, I don't think we need to name names um, who I've met through social media and, you know, have seen at events here and there but I think there's more there that I could enter into. So maybe I'll do that soon. Thank you. Um, all right. So we probably need to wrap up now. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say that, um, you know, just connections 
um, between or the intersection of writing creative creativity and faith, or do you feel good about what you've said and ready to <laughs> ready to wrap up? It's funny that you say, do I feel good about what I've said? Because whenever I do any interview, I'm always like, I don't know what I said to these people. I hope that it is good. No, it's great. It's been wonderful. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. Um, Yeah, I just, I would just encourage anybody who's listening to just not be afraid of themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because I spent, I think, too long being afraid of myself. And what I mean by that specifically is just being afraid to show up completely for fear of what people would do or say or how they'd react. Um, and I find, you know, if, if we're willing to come to God, as we all say, you know, bare and open and whatever the, the vocab is that people are using now, there's always these buzzwords, you know, that people will use, but whatever the terms are now, if we're willing to come like that to God, then coming to the world like that should be easy, you know, and it really is very liberating for everybody. If, if I walk into a room and I'm me completely, other people feel more comfortable. It just happens when other people come into a room and they are themselves completely, I feel more comfortable and it just makes for a better world in general. And we really need betterness right now. (laughs) Yes, we do. (laughs) We need it so desperately. Um, you know, and, and I think people also are more willing to listen when they see you just being yourself. Um, and that is also vital right now, the listening piece. Um, you know, and I'm grateful that writing has allowed me to create listening moments for people. Um, mm-hmm. I really do feel like some of the poems that I read, although they are uncomfortable even for me, you know, to read them, when I hear somebody come up and say, I really didn't think about this in this way until I heard that poem. Or, you know, you made me think or, you know, sometimes people like will even cry after poems that I've read. And, you know, it's it's very, you know, strange for me to think that something that I said could do anything to anyone. But my hope is that if it does do something, maybe it can stop somebody from being murdered or it can stop somebody from, um, you know, saying something rude to somebody else. Or it could stop someone from feeling bad about themselves. Um, so all those things happen when we just show up. So that's, yeah. that's what I would love to leave people with. It's just the, the encouragement to just show up always. Mm. Thank you. It's a great place to end. Um, and if, I mean, I could respond to that, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I try to not talk too much when I have guests on my podcast because I'm like, I'm here to listen to the guests. Um, can you tell us where to find you online? real quick, or if you have any readings or events coming up online? Yeah. So you can find me on uh, my website, which is www.ashleymjonespoetry.com. Just bought my domain last year. So it's real shiny over there. Um, (laughs) um, But yeah, you can find uh, poems and all that kind of stuff over there. All right. Thanks so much, Ashley, for, um, this conversation is wonderful. I knew it would be. And I, I just really appreciate you and your work and your writing and your life. And um, this was a delight. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right. That's all for this episode of Our Faith in Writing. Thanks so much for listening and giving your attention to the ways writing and reading help us belong to ourselves, others, God, and the world. 
I'd love for you to visit us online at ourfaithinwriting.com where you can find more information about my spiritual direction for writers and other contemplative offerings, read essays and articles by writers who care about faith, and learn more about our partners and sponsors. I'd also love to connect with you on social media. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Charlotte Donlin. Subscribe to Our Faith in Writing wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review the show, letting us know how these conversations help you feel less alone in your writing life and your reading life.